1: Welcome to Money in Your Life, the radio program that gives you the insight and motivation to be more successful with all aspects of your personal finances. Your hosts are Brian Farr and Ann Hutchins. Today's program will feature experts and intriguing ideas that will show you how money is actually operating in your life. Now, here are Brian Farr and Ann Hutchins.
2: Good morning and welcome to Money in Your Life, a weekly program that explores the influence of money in your life. I'm Ann Hutchins. And I'm Brian Farr. You know, Brian, when I was a portfolio manager in Boston in the 1990s, somebody in our firm put a sign on my computer that said, by 2020, women will control more than half the financial assets in this country. Start sucking up now, boys. And you know, as (laughs) As crass as that may sound, it does seem to be coming true. There's been an interesting shift in who has more assets in a family.
3: Yeah, that's right, Anne. There's been a really, really large shift in who is earning the average household income. From 1970 to 2007, women's earnings grew 44% compared with a 6% growth for men. That's that's really significant. And then one other factoid In 2007, the percentage of women who earn more than their husbands had increased to 22%, and that was just 4% in 1970. So that's a significant shift. But you know, it seems that many financial advisors have not evolved with these changes. Numerous reports tell us that financial advisors continue to focus on the man of the family during their client meetings. Our guest today is Kathleen Burns Kingsbury and she has some inside information on this subject. Kathleen is a leading wealth psychology expert and the author of How to Give Financial Advice to Couples. Kathleen, welcome to Money in Your Life. Thank you. It's great to be here. Welcome. Yes. So we've got so many ideas on where to start in with this. I think that the, the first place... I guess, can we start with how you got interested in this kind of work? I know you're, you're passionate about it and that it's important work, but give us a little sense of how you got focused on this area of work that you, you do.
4: Sure, sure. I actually um, have worked in both banking and finance as well as the field of psychology, Uh, And about 2006, 2007, I decided, you know what, I would love to take what I love about finance and what I love about psychology and blend the two. And part of uh, the way in which I came to this work, which I think happens for a lot of people, is that I had my own trauma around money. Uh, My husband and I actually were ripped off by a uh, contractor, and for the first time ever, I had to really look at my relationship with money. So it was kind of a combination of wanting to do something different professionally that blended my interests, and also having this personal experience that said, wait a second, there's, there's a lot of psychology to money that I wasn't aware of, and so how can I help clients with their psychology with money, but also, you know, how can I help financial advisors and related professionals do a better job of communicating with clients? So that's really how it came to pass, and I'm happy to report I'm having a blast. After my first book, How to Give Financial Advice to Women, I decided I would take it a step further, and um, the next book came out a year later, which you just mentioned, How to Give Financial Advice to Couples.
3: Yeah, that's excellent. There's so much demand for this. I think, well, just as the numbers uh, show, th- there's been a significant change in the way that uh, households and couples have a relationship with money. Prior to 1970, men were in charge, um, and now it's, it's changed quite a bit. So it would make sense that you would need to guide some of these advisors on how to make the changes. What, what kind of – what do you find? What are the lessons that you've learned as you've done this work?
4: Well, I think one of the important things for people to keep in mind is that, you know, even though the financial services industry is a male-dominated industry and has been, uh, I think historically it's nobody's fault that it catered towards men because if you think about it, only about 100-plus years ago – women couldn't own property and as you mentioned in yeah. 1970 um you know men were the primary breadwinners so i think the industry is a little slow to catch up in terms of uh servicing the female client better whether they're working with her as an individual or a member of a couple. Um but I think it's time has come. And in fact, Anne referenced something in the intro and um I don't know if you know, but 51% of the United States' personal wealth is controlled by women. Mm. Um so the industry is really just responding to the fact that women have assets and they're starting to realize, wow, we do a really poor job with women. Um, and so, you know, I certainly can talk about specific insights that I have, but that in general is, I think the context that we need to keep in mind that really it's about moving forward. It isn't about pointing a finger. It's not about men or women. It's about men and women getting together and doing a better job.
2: Okay. Excellent. Do you, Kathleen, do you find resistance among advisors to your conversation with them about how to talk to couples? Cause you're right. It's not about men or women or pointing fingers. It's how do I... How do I shift to what the market is is about?
4: You know, it's interesting. That's a great question. I find that there's three sets of advisors that I work with in general, right? So there's, you know, when I go out and do a keynote or um, do a, a workshop at a conference, there tends to be, you know, maybe a third of the audience that, uh, is really into this, is already doing really great work, work advising couples. Um, a third of the audience who says, you know what, I could do a better job with couples, I could do a better job with women, please give me some tips and tools. And then maybe a third that says, you know what, I have a very profitable business, and the way I'm doing it, I'm just meeting with one person, and I'm fine, and so I really just focus on the two-thirds that say, you know what, I want to do it a little bit better, and I find that group is actually not resistant, but almost craving more information about how do we provide good good uh, customer service and how do we balance if it's a heterosexual couple? How do we balance what she might want from an advisor versus what he might want? And, and I think they're craving more information in that area.
3: Okay, all right. Well, one of the things when I uh, in reading your blog, which incidentally the uh, Kathleen's website's a, a real uh, resource for all this kind of information. Um, You had a blog in October, and you spoke about here are three tips to help you have better outcomes with your couple's clients. And and these are from your book, How to Give Financial Advice to Couples. The three were don't make assumptions, number two, understand your couple's mindset, and three, invite both partners to the table. Let's let's take a little time to talk about each of these because I think they're very important. Sure, sure. I think the
4: first one in terms of not making assumptions – One of the things that happens for all of us, because we're human beings, and believe it or not, financial advisors are human beings, (laughs) is uh, is that we have automatic thoughts and beliefs, often that are unconscious, about how couples should make, manage, and invest money. And so when I talk about not making assumptions, I actually really think it's important for advisors to not make assumptions about how the couple in front of you is doing this. Um, and to really take a look at maybe what the blind spots may be, and, and I'll give you a real-life example. You know, often uh, when I meet with a couple, there's an assumption that I make about the man, even though I work in this field, that he's either the primary breadwinner or that I'm going to connect with him better Um, versus the woman. And that comes from my own history in my family of having a really great relationship with my dad and struggling a little bit with my relationship with my mom. Um, So it's really important to do that introspective work and to learn to ask questions as opposed to making assumptions.
3: So what was the second one, Brian? Let's stick with this one just a bit. Okay. So, So what you're talking about, to be real specific here, it's the assumption that's running in the background when the advisor's sitting there and talking to this couple that's that's what you're describing what what's their assumption like yours that oh the man is going to be the person that I want to talk to so how do you find um i can think of it as a financial coach how i would uncover that but when you're coaching the the advisors to to get down to those assumptions what kind of tools do you use to get that uncovered
4: well often what we will do is do the couple's mindset activity, which is basically being able to have um, folks complete a series of uh, statements such as, you know, when the wife controls the money in a family, I feel blank. Or, you know, men who control finances are. So to really kind of take a litmus test of and start to tap into some of those unconscious thoughts and beliefs and just bring them to the surface. And then the next question is, you know, how does that belief that you have uh, serve you? How does that help you as an advisor? How does that help yep. your clients? And how does it potentially get in the way? Because any thought or belief that we have or assumption that we make isn't necessarily all bad, and it's certainly not all good. Uh, it's really a combination of when does it make sense um, to you know, listen to that and when does it make sense to kind of maybe put that in the back of your mind and really focus on the clients in front of you. Um, and I, what I find is that advisors, just because of the nature of their training being primarily technical, they haven't done that introspective work to figure out, you know what, what do I think? What do I believe? And how might this impact um, the relationship that I have with my clients. You know, and often it's very subtle ways of, you know, just spending more time in a meeting talking to one person versus the other or, you know, really liking one and really not liking the other but not being aware as to why. Um, so it's that type of, um, those types of tools of really just helping them start to, uh, you know, strip back and understand what these thoughts are. And often it can be as simple as that because they haven't done anything like that in their professional training.
3: Okay, if this is oversimplifying, but it sounds like you're inviting them to be a little bit more open and a little bit curious, uh, both about themselves and the people they're talking to. And that would, that would open up, that would cause a shift. Yes, and when you say simple, it's
4: interesting because the three of us have a lot of experience in terms of coaching. Uh, and doing this type of work. However, that type of simplicity is really what advisors need, because this is very, very new to them, most of them, not all of them. But for a lot of them, it's really new. So even though it sounds very simple, it's just spending the time to do that can really shift, um, shift things because they have an increased awareness.
2: Okay. you know it's really interesting kathleen i 'm just so mindful of what you're asking people you're you're inviting the financial advisors to do is something that hasn 't been done a lot, which is bring their humanity into the conversation you know you talked about the technical and maybe that 's an oversimplification i don 't mean that financial advisors are not human what I mean is that we We in the business, Brian and I have both done it and you've done it as well. We tend to talk about the technicals. Is the market up? Is it down? What kind of return are we having? What's the, what is the revenue growth? What's the projected market outlook? You know, this says step back for a minute and ask who's across the table from you.
4: Absolutely. Who are you? Who are they? And then to really try to um, have an interaction that's a little bit more meaningful. I think one of the things that's um, interesting about the work that I'm doing is you're right, that everybody's so focused on the technical that they forget to uh, just connect with the client. And what I find, and, and probably why my work is very well received right now, is that the difference right now in the field is between a top producer and one that's doing okay are their communication skills and their ability to communicate and connect with their clients effectively and really understand them. And so being an excellent communicator, which involves some self-awareness, Um, really is good for business. It's great for clients, which is what motivates me, but it's also really good for an advisor's business because they're going to get more referrals. They certainly are going to connect with women more because women really want to talk not just about the technical aspects, but also about what does this mean for me and my family? You know, how does this performance really impact my, you know, desire to be able to pay for my mom's um, elder care or my kids private school so I, I think it's a shift that's a long time coming but it's arrived
3: Okay. yeah, okay. yeah. you know we've the the three different uh, we've talked about couples mindset now the assumptions and the mindset and the third one the third suggestion here is invite both partners to the table um, I'm guessing that that falls along the three. You said that there's, you know, the, the the groups you teach fall into three categories, and I'm guessing that that you run into that that people fall into those same uh, groups. Some of them well, just don't think to invite the other partner.
4: Well, what's interesting is that there's been a long, you know, if you assume right, if you operate under the assumption that the man has the wealth and he's the one who calls the shot – so we're going back to the 70s or whatever. Um, however, a lot of people in the field have been raised with that thought. So the idea is, you know what? I invite him. she doesn't really need to worry about it. Um, and in some ways, that model is in the field, and it quite frankly, it's much easier for the advisor, right you You're talking to one person. Right getting one person's input but the downside is her input now she may be the primary breadwinner these days right or it may be that she has chosen to stay at home with the kids but either way you need both parties input in order to design a sound financial plan and a good investment strategy. I also think there's a huge opportunity for advisors to help couples talk about money because there's not a lot of places in our world that we get to talk about money as a couple and take a time out from our life. Um, What I do in my, um, it doesn't matter whether it's a keynote or a breakout, it's a really fun exercise, is I have people line up on a continuum from I always see both members of the couple, no exceptions, the other end of the continuum is, you know what, I hardly ever see both members. I usually work with one. And then there's a whole continuum in between. And I'm not saying there's a right way to do it, but what I am saying is that you need to be conscious of why you do it. And is it are you doing it because it serves you as an advisor? Or are you doing it because it's in the best interest of your client? And usually what happens is people realize, you know what, it's in the best interest of my client and ultimately me if I invite both of them to the table. And certainly when you're working with women, women feel left out because often they're not invited, they're overlooked, or the conversation isn't really around the parts that interest them, so they opt out. And I think that really needs to change. And I think if that changes and more advisors meet with couples and more couples, right, you have to take responsibility, show up to the meeting together, um, this may sound like a lofty goal for a Friday, but I really think we'd be a much more financially literate um, and financially healthy society.
3: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, what's the rule of thumb that 80% of success is showing up? Mm-hmm. And if, if both people aren't showing up, you're just not going to get much, you're not going to get success in this area. And in
4: 2011, Fidelity did a research project around retirement, but the one stat I'll just throw out there really quickly, it said that 38% um, of couples, only 38% of couples see their financial advisor together.
2: Yeah. Ah, Yeah, that is is true. I'm curious, and we may have to, um, this may be a longer conversation, but or this is going to be a longer conversation, but I'm just curious of of how can we look at it from the advisor's point of view, how do you begin? How do you suggest that they begin to break the ice if the couple hasn't talked about money, if they have one of those thirty eight percent, if that only meet or if they are one of the thirty eight percent that only meet with one? Do you meet with both? Do you meet with the other one singly? and then managing the conversation. Those are three separate pieces.
4: Sure. I think initially the thing you need to keep in mind as an advisor is to think about why both clients are in the room and Mm -hmm. to go out of your way to invite the other person who isn't into the room. And if there's some resistance, right, if there's some... You know she doesn't need to come, or you know he doesn't. He wants me to handle it. What, whoever in the couple gets identified as the primary person to deal with the financial advisor, then to educate the couple as to why it's important um, for them both to be in the room. So the first hurdle is getting them in the room. The second piece um, is really figuring out how to ask curious questions that aren't just about their assets or about their risk tolerance. And recently, I actually designed a deck of cards called Wealth Connections, and it's a very small deck, but it has 10 cards, and so the advisor can use this as a tool to open up a dialogue. Uh, with the, with the couple. They could either have the couple choose one of the ten cards and have a conversation around that card, or maybe if they realize this is an area I want to talk with them about, they may be able to say, you know what, I was looking at this deck and this, this question is curious to me. Um, And some of the, you know, the questions are simple. They range from things like, you know, what is the most extravagant purchase you've ever made and what was that experience like for you? Um, Mm -hmm. To things like what three words would describe your money personality and what three words would describe your partner's money personality. So they're just a tool and some questions just to open up that dialogue. Um, And often if people get curious, like Brian said earlier, uh, there is a lot that can be talked about uh, in these sessions in addition to the actual technical aspects that are going to give some great, kind of provide some great data for the financial advisor to actually do his or her job better.
3: Okay. I love this idea with those cards. I've used cards with different things uh, with my clients, but that's such a specific one that the the advisor can just set the cards out. People could look through it. There's different ways you could do it, and it'd be icebreakers essentially as a way to get the conversation open, Um, and I'm going to guess that you find the same thing that I do. Once the conversation gets open, there's energy that moves it along. People get, sure, get excited and a lot of times
4: couples are and partners are really interested in having these conversations, and you know they'll say things time and time again, like "I didn't know that about you." So once the <laughs> advisor gets over the initial fear of like, "Wow, I don't usually do this." Um, what i find is they really enjoy it and it becomes quite rewarding and then the couple client you know has a different experience in the meeting and then they want to come back and continue that dialogue
3: yeah that's excellent okay we need to take a break now we'll be back in just a minute with our guest Kathleen Burns Kingsbury if you would like to join our conversation please call us 866 472 5790 or you can email us at money in your life radio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Brian Farr with co-host Ann Hutchins. You have money in your life.
2: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
1: The goal of financial coaching is to open up the conversation around money with your spouse, your children, or your extended family. Anne Hutchins works with individuals, families, and financial professionals to improve relationships with money. Her work with clients is confidential, honest, and fun. Visit Anne's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.abhutchins.com. That's abhutchins.com. Do you have financial goals for yourself? Do you want to be smart with money in all areas of your life? If you're ready to become more effective with your personal finances, then you might be ready to hire a financial coach. Since 2002, Brian Farr has helped hundreds of people improve their relationship with money. He's unbiased, honest, and approachable. If you'd like to learn more about financial coaching, visit Brian's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.brianhbar.com.
3: We're always talking business.
4: Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790.
1: Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Money in Your Life with Brian Farr and Ann Hutchins. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to moneyinyourliferadio at gmail.com. Now, back to the program.
3: Welcome back. I'm Brian Farr with my co-host Ann Hutchins and our guest Kathleen Burns Kingsbury. Um, today we 're talking about the relationship between financial advisors and their clients, and I think you had a question following up on what we were discussing before the break
2: I did i 'm just curious Kathleen, what kind of feedback you 've gotten from advisors who have followed followed your workshop advice and engaged couples in a more direct way
4: in Overall, what's really interesting is the folks that work with couples um, and get to build this trusting relationship with couples that's based on more than just the technical aspects, what happens is at times of family transition, so death, divorce, illness, whatever the case may be, when often um, people will change advisors, that because they have that strong bond with both members of the couple, uh, they stay. And so here's a stat that really speaks to the problem more than the solution, which is 70% of women fire their couple's advisor within one year of the death of their spouse. Mm-hmm. 70%. That's yeah. huge. Yeah, um, so really, really huge. what I'm working on with the advisors that I work with, and they're reporting that it's being successful is that I'm working at getting that 30% that has a good relationship with both partners to increase and and maybe flip the statistics so we're eventually up to, you know, only 30% leave as opposed to 70% leaving. Um, So it does make a difference, but one of the things that I have to say and caution people, it is a longer-term strategy. So if you're in a transitional, not transitional, excuse me, transactional environment, you're getting a lot of uh, pressure to produce, which advisors can get, Um, that this is a little bit of a different strategy that's much more relationship-based, and so there's an investment of time. But it's absolutely worth it. And the other stat I'll throw out before we continue is the fact that women, when they are satisfied with their financial advisor, actually refer 2.5 times more than men. So having both Uh. members of a partner the partnership in the room really does make a difference in terms of getting word-of-mouth referrals, which is certainly just a great way to build your business.
3: Boy yeah. what a fascinating statistic that is relative to the relational aspect the relational um, tendencies or natural ways of being of men and as a man I'll say this that men aren't as relational as women and if you get women enrolled you get two and a half times more referrals mm, that's yep. astonishing
2: well I think you know what I what I learn with my clients and I coach both men and women is money money is there's huge relationship with trust around money and when you find a trusted advisor, whether it's a broker or a banker or a a CPA or even a cleaning person, you're you're likely to stay with I'm likely if you have a trusted relationship, you're likely to stay longer, especially with somebody who doesn't talk down to you and pat you on the head and say, you wouldn't understand this. I mean be a partner in the room. <laughs> I think that's kind of an old-fashioned one, and hopefully there aren't many advisors out out there still patting women on the head. Not, but, not um, actually, not actually factually, but metaphorically. Mm-hmm. Metaphorically, metaphorically, yes. I
4: have to tell you, yeah, I don't think advisors, you know, for the most part, would do that outright. But there's a way in which if you think about um, how the male brain works um, differently than the female brain, you know, the male brain is actually uh, very wired to see a problem, fix a problem, where a woman sees a problem and wants to talk about a problem, and then she eventually gets to fixing it. And so I think if you have a male advisor working with a female, what ends up happening is their natural tendency is like, oh, problem, I want to fix it. And a woman says, no, 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 I want to talk about it. And so I think that that's where the disconnect is. And often women feel like you're patting them on the head, metaphorically, when you haven't given them time to talk about what this is like for them.
2: So the other thing that you raised, Kathleen, which was really important is women's brains tend to think more in systems. So if I'm thinking, I don't just think about my clients, I don't just think about return. I think about what that return uh, allows what that return allows in terms of caring for parents, caring for kids, buying, you know, whatever, buying a bigger house or whatever the goals are that I have. I'm thinking about it in terms of a system, not just did I make 20% on my portfolio?
4: Yes. And I I think that's for two reasons. One is um, certainly the brain science behind it shows that uh, the right and left hemisphere in a woman's brain is a little has more connective tissue between the two sides, so we tend right. to think more holistically. Also, and who knows what comes first, but we're socialized from such an early age to be caregivers and to think about others first, and sometimes at our own detriment, right? And so that comes into play when we're thinking about wealth and accumulating wealth and passing on wealth is, how do I provide security for the people that I really care about in my life? And not to say that men don't want that. There's just a different nuance to it and a slightly different perspective um, than with women.
3: Okay. The um, We've been talking quite a bit about the advisor side of the equation, what could you tell our listeners who are in a relationship with a financial advisor and they think that that might, they, they, that they, they would hope that the relationship could be improved? How can clients bump advisors towards what you're describing if they're not there already? I
4: think- one of the things is being really clear with your advisor about what you want. Um, For instance, um, I work with my advisor and I try to practice what I preach, right? Historically, (laughs) I was the financially, well, I still am the financially dominant one because of my training and whatnot, um, but very, you know, realize that if I'm telling everybody they should meet together as a couple, then I should probably meet together as a couple with my advisor. Now my (laughs) advisor is great, very female friendly, but it would be very easy for him to meet with just me and not with my husband. Um, so both my husband, I'm going to give my husband credit here too because he's on board, um, Brian and I you know, make a point of taking time on a regular basis to have financial meetings together without our financial advisor. And they don't have to be long, you know, 15, 20 minutes, where are we at, what's going on, are there any decisions we need to make. And we also make a commitment um, probably twice a year with our advisor that we meet with our advisor together. And I think that that commitment from the couples level um, it needs to come from the couple often because advisors don't necessarily um, know how that can be important, you know, especially advisors who don't have the training that we're talking about um, yes. today. Yeah. Um, so yes. I think you have some responsibility there. And ultimately, it actually just makes it easier because you don't have to go back and report everything and explain everything. It, it actually is a really nice thing. Um,
3: okay. That so makes, that makes so much it, sense. But if you show up at the advisors, even if you're in a, in a relationship now with an advisor where one one of the members of the couple has been dominant, that that can transition without the advisor's approval, even to to say it that way, without the uh, advisor provide, uh, um triggering it. You can just say, you know, we, going forward we want to work together more closely, so we're going to have meetings, 15-20 minute meetings, and when we go to the advisors, we're going to go together that's going to be a, a a takeaway that people can can have from today's program
4: yes and i think you know a lot of times couples are like oh we're going to fight it's going to be miserable well part of the reason you keep it short is you know you have less time to fight about things the other thing is you know have your first financial meeting as a couple focus on success. One of the cards that I wrote purposely um, in my Wealth Connection deck has to do with what's one financial success you had and what did you learn from it? Because, you know, we often don't ask our partner, hey, what are you really good at? (laughs) if <laughs> you know, if you're, especially if you're married a long time, you tend to focus on what they're not good at. And so just really training ourselves to learn from each other. And since my husband has been coming to meetings, and this is years now, um, since he's been coming to meetings regularly, I am so incredibly impressed because he focuses on different things that I focus on. And together we are a much better team in getting our financial needs met than we are as individuals. And my stress level goes down because I don't feel overly responsible for everything
3: nice
2: nice that sounds great you know one of the assumptions that we're making in this conversation is that the advisor that you've had is the right advisor to keep going forward with and what uh, one of the things that occurs to me as we're advising couples going in to talk to advisors is be aware that this may not be the advisor that you both want going forward and that, that's something for you story to about talk that, about, Ann. You are so yeah. correct.
4: Uh, I in two thousand. I'm going to guess two thousand six. Right around the time we we got ripped off by that contractor, um, we had been working with a financial advisor. We would go together. Uh, he was award winning, you know, nice man. Uh, and when we went in, right around um, the market crash, so late two thousand and eight, I will never forget the meeting. Sitting there, and having this advisor not really check in on our emotional pulse, like, you know, a simple question of what's it been like with the market volatility (laughs) would have gone a long way for me. And eventually we got out of that meeting and I was fuming because I had waited to talk to my husband about how I was feeling about, you know, everybody lost in their portfolio, but um, how I lost money. And also certainly about our financial situation. And it really felt like the advisor we were with was only going to focus on, you know, how stressed out he was. He was a little bit in his own stuff. And also, you know, he gave us a history of uh, the stock market. And so I didn't need a lecture. What I needed was a couple of, you know, an honest conversation about what's going on and what are we going to do next. So needless to say, it took a while um, but uh, Brian agreed to let go of him, although it didn't bother him as much as it bothered me, and we found a new advisor that met our needs better. And I really encourage people who are listening, if your gut says this is not the person for me, it don't worry about it. It's their business. It's, re- it's your life savings. So take the steps to interview a couple of people and to think about who's going to work for me, um, because ever since we switched, I'm just so much more satisfied, as is my husband, so it really worked for both of us.
2: Yeah, I think that's really important and, and I would encourage people even if you're, to interview a couple of people. If you, for, if you haven't traditionally met as a couple and you meet as a couple, uh, I would encourage the part of the couple that hasn't been meeting to also interview other advisors. Absolutely. No, get a Absolutely. feel for what's the out there. The other thing
4: is is what is it? The National Association of Personal Financial Advisors, Exactly. NAPFA, has a website yeah. and a lot of the folks that are at NAPFA um do tend to be a little bit more uh client-centric and focus a little bit more on couples. That's not across the board, but that might be a nice website to start at.
2: Yeah, that's a good. idea. NAPFA and the Garrett uh, the Garrett Planning Network yeah. as well. Yeah. Two good resources. So, we have an email uh, from an advisor that I'd love to to pose to you. Excellent. Um, I have a client, a couple who I meet with regularly every year we send a bu- we set a budget and every year for the past five years, they've overspent. I'm afraid they're going to run out of money. Do you have any thoughts about a different approach?
4: I, I have some thoughts, and this person may or may not have tried this, So, but in general, if you have a couple that is saying one thing and then doing another, I think your responsibility as an advisor is to gently notice that with them, and as opposed to go through that budget process again, knowing that they're probably not going to stick to it, to really talk with them about, you know, what is their perspective of that budget? and ask them together, but individually, when we set up a budget, what is that like for you to partner one? What is that like to you to partner two? Um, How can we make this a more useful tool you know and and it's okay, I think, to be transparent as saying, "You know what? I worry that you might run out of money. I'm wondering if that's a concern for you because mm-hmm. if the advisor holds all the anxiety and then continues to kind of do the same thing, that couple is not going to have to sit with, "Wow, we keep doing this because on some level they get to say, "Oh, well, we go to the advisor we we'll make a budget, so they get to feel good about it." But really, um, what is happening is they're not changing their behavior, so I think it's really getting to what has that experience been like for them, sharing the concern, but letting them um, look at what are the benefits of following a budget and what are the downsides of following a budget, and giving them a chance to talk about how maybe unconsciously, probably at this point, they don't want to follow that budget, and having that conversation going to free up the advisor because you're probably going to worry less because at least you've done that piece that's um, helpful, and it may actually help the client worry a little bit more, (laughs) if you know
2: what I mean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you shift the uh, the responsibility. You shift the responsibility. Yep. Mm -hmm.
4: Yeah. to really talk about the behavior, because, you know, often what I find is, you know, advisors have great insights into what's going on with a couple, but um, may be hesitant to, you know, gently just notice that. And by noticing it out loud, that is at least not colluding with the elephant in the room. It's saying, here's yeah. the elephant in the room. Let's talk about it. And that yes. can shift things in itself.
3: There's another piece that I'm hearing in here is in, in the, the the questioner was saying this has been going on for a number of years, so it's that that uh, if you do the same thing over and over, you're going to keep getting the same results. So for the advisor to have the confidence that says, you know, I've said this about the budget twice and nothing has changed, or I've said it three times, nothing has changed. Let's take a step back from the details of the budget, and what I'm hearing you describe is the larger issue, the larger context around this thing called a budget. So, just recognizing that it's not working. Right, and
4: and is it ultimately something that one partner wants and the other doesn't? Because you know, in terms right. of couples dynamics, one of the great ways of of uh, exerting your power is to say, yes, 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 I'll do that, but then your behavior is you're spending, spending, spending. So, um, or it could be that one of them has an overspending problem and needs a referral. So I do think it's great that the advisor asked that question, and I think it's uh, really kind of having that conversation with a couple and trying to understand what's the trigger and then how do we address that trigger. Is it here by conversation, or is it maybe there's something else going on that, you know, either one or both of them need to address?
3: Yep. Yeah. Okay.
2: Okay. You know, I think we're going to go ahead and uh Ann, did you have a question there? I did have a quick question which may take a little bit of time. So let's uh but I had a quick question which is at what point, Kathleen, do you ever recommend that an advisor bring in a a third party an objective party to this conversation? I'm just mindful that in this pr- particular case, it may be useful to have somebody in the conversation who can do that, noticing if the advisor hasn't done it before.
4: Absolutely. I think that's a really interesting model that I know some people use where you have an advisor and you also have somebody who is either, uh, you know, a money coach, wealth psychologist, um, some a person that has that type of training. I think, you know, if that becomes, I think it's great if that's part of your process. So when you meet with a couple the first time, you meet with them, maybe somebody else is in the room with that type of psychology training, and then there is some data that's gathered both on what they need financially as well as their couple dynamic. Now, if you don't have that set up, which a lot of people don't, I think when you get into situations like um, the one the advisor's describing, it's really great to have somebody on your team, and this doesn't have to be in your office. This could be someone you associate with who has that training where maybe you can um, call them up and get some supervision around or just consulting around, geez, this is what's going on with this couple. What do you think? And then yeah. proposing it to the couple after that initial conversation of, you know, it might be nice to bring somebody in here who, who really works with people who struggle around um, changing their financial behaviors. What would that be like for you? So I am all for team and collaboration. I think it shows couples that you aren't everything, Um, and that doing it all alone does not make sense. So that's a really nice um, modeling to the couple that, you know, sometimes we have to work together, sometimes we have to bring in other people. Um, And I also think that if, I mean, in closing, I think, you know, if the couple is having the same argument, the same fight, and they're just like they're going nowhere fast is how I describe it, um, that is often the time to bring somebody in and shake it up because, um, like I said earlier, you're just kind of colluding with their behavior that on the surface looks like they're doing the right thing, but clearly something is awry in their financial life and or maybe their couple life.
2: Okay. But one important thing that you added, which is really key, is asking the couple's permission. Yes. Not just assuming, but asking them, them permission, which yeah. is really key. That's great.
3: Okay, we need to pause for a break. We'll be back in a few minutes with uh, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury. If you'd like to join our conversation, please call 866-472-5790 or email us at moneyinyourliferadio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Brian Farr with my co-host Ann Hutchins. You have money in your life.
2: Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
1: Do you have financial goals for yourself? Do you want to be smart with money in all areas of your life? If you're ready to become more effective with your personal finances, then you might be ready to hire a financial coach. Since 2002, Brian Farr has helped hundreds of people improve their relationship with money. He's unbiased, honest, and approachable. If you'd like to learn more about financial coaching, visit Brian's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.brianhfar.com. The goal of financial coaching is to open up the conversation around money with your spouse, your children, or your extended family. Anne Hutchins works with individuals, families, and financial professionals to improve relationships with money. Her work with clients is confidential, honest, and fun. Visit Anne's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.abhutchins.com. That's abhutchins.com.
2: The business
4: community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network.
1: You're listening to Money in Your Life with Brian Farr and Ann Hutchins. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to radio at gmail.com. Now, back to the program.
3: Welcome back. I'm Brian Farr with my co-host, Ann Hutchins, and our guest, Kathleen Burns-Kingsbury. We are talking about the relationships between financial advisors and clients today. We're coming at it from a few different angles. Before we go on, I want to mention Kathleen's website. You can either Google her name, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, or go directly to our website, kbkwealthconnection.com. That's kbkwealthconnection.com. And as I mentioned earlier, she has a blog that is packed full of information and ideas. Uh, nice headlines, so you can just scroll right down through it and find the ones that uh, might apply to you. So Kathleen, welcome back. Um, Thank you. Let's see. I'm thinking, Anne, do we have any more emails we want to work with today?
2: We we do. We have a couple. Uh, The first one, this is also from an advisor. It says, I work with a couple and would like some input. The bulk of the client's assets were inherited from the wife's family, and yet when we meet, the wife defers the control of the conversations to the husband. Do you have any thoughts on what I can do to shift the dynamic in our meetings? (laughs)
4: <laughs> that's interesting, because um, it, what I would ask if the person was live with me is kind of what generation um, the wife is from. But often what will end up happening with couples is that in a meeting with an advisor, especially um, older couples, the woman will defer to the husband because that's their couple dynamic, that it, out in public he's the one who uh, either calls the shots or looks like he calls the shots, Right. And often what you'll discover is when they go home and make decisions, it may be that she no longer defers, that she just does that. Um, in public and that she is indeed making the decisions. But I think there's one thing that you can do in a meeting or a couple of things that you can do in a meeting to try to draw her out a little bit. Um, In the book, I call it uh, balancing the triangle. And basically, if you picture a line between you and her and a line between you and him and then the line between the couple, that's your triangle. And so if Um, she's allowing him to do most of the talking and most of the input. What you're going to want to do from time to time is just balance that triangle because it's going to be tipped towards um, the husband. So you can do this by shifting your body language, um, looking at her, asking her the exact same question you've asked him. She may say something along the lines of, you know what, you know, my husband can answer for me or whatever. And then doing a very small educational piece around, you know, I know that he can. I think it would be really helpful if I just heard your perspective as well. And so to really kind of continue to invite her into the dialogue now, she may not take you up on it, especially right away if their couple dynamic is is to not do that, but over time, what you are communicating through your body language and your verbal invitations is her perspective matters, mm-hmm. um, depending on the level of trust you have with this client, I would also wonder, and you may ask this directly or you may just wonder about this is um, is there something about the money being from her family? Um, is there something about that dynamic that makes her much more conscious of allowing him to look in control in the meetings? And so often there's some dynamics between people who come from wealth versus people who create wealth. Mm-hmm. Last but not least, I will make a book recommendation that's not mine. Uh, Jim Grubman wrote a book called uh, Strangers in Paradise. And it's Mm. about the dynamics between what he calls immigrants to wealth, so that's probably the husband, versus natives of wealth, which are inheritors, which is probably the wife. That might be worth checking out to give you some more insights.
3: Strangers in Paradise. Strangers in
4: Paradise. Great book. Just came out.
3: Okay. Great. excellent. Yeah, that's a, that's a, um, that's a really key piece that I, I just want to come back to the one where you were talking about something that's so subtle. It's who you look at as the advisor, um, and, and where you let your eye go and even then into body, your body language that it, is it open to both people or is it focusing on one? That's a that's a really subtle level of detail, but can be very powerful. We all know as coaches how powerful that can be. But to say it out loud so that other people can start to work with that same material.
4: Well, and the other thing is, you also you know, and I think it was Olivia Mellon who said this at a conference um, a couple years ago that if you set the if you sit the woman directly across from you and you sit the husband at a slight angle from you, you're still in front of them, right? Um, That what that helps you do is have eye contact with the wife. And it also can decrease any competitiveness, which doesn't sound like it's in this scenario, but any competitiveness he might feel towards you. And I have had advisors try that after attending a workshop of mine, and they have reported success in that little subtle difference shifting things in how the meeting
3: goes.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. One of the other recommendations that was given by a guest is that the couple meet with a financial advisor not over a meal, that when you're talking about your finances, you talk about the finances and then you can socialize. But first order of business is the order of business.
4: The other thing that can be helpful, and this is also small, but it has to do with office logistics, is, you know, where are you meeting? What is the setting like? And if you can have an intimate conversation area, as opposed to sitting over a big, you know, conference table, that is definitely preferred and often makes women feel much more comfortable.
2: Mm-hmm. Sure. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So we have one more question here. I think we have time for it. Sir? Uh, I, work, I work with a couple and it's the second marriage for both. The family lives on assets inherited from the wife's grandparents and, and her family is about to sell a family business. Mm. Her, share, her share will be over $10 million and she'd like to take a more active part in financial decisions, which she has left largely to her husband for the past five years, even though it's her money.
4: And the question is? And, the, oh, and well, we the question that?
2: is, yeah, the question is how to, how to shift that dynamic? Because it's a little bit like the one that was asked earlier how to shift a dynamic that's already been in place for five years of the husband having the major control? Well, and what's
4: interesting in this scenario, and I actually think is a huge opportunity, is because there's this big liquidity event. It's a time of transition, and often an advisor at a time of transition can introduce some new ideas, right? Because it's right. Uh, it's a turning point. So um, my first question would be, because she would like to have a little bit more control. In the meetings or a little bit more decision making power, has she said that to the advisor in front of her husband or has she said that to the advisor when the husband has not been around? So that would be the first thing. And if she did share that with the husband not around, what I would encourage Um, the advisor to do is to make sure she announces that in the next meeting when they're both there Um, to just say, you know what, I'd like to work a little bit more um, as a team and, you know, handle this liquidity event and think about this money. And then, you know, assessing is, does she need more education to do that? Does she need just more permission to speak up? Like what's going to allow her to be more of an equal partner? And last but not least in terms of the husband is he the type of person that's going to be open to that or is there going to be some resistance? And if so, really having conversations about what would it mean if we shifted uh, how we did the meeting slightly. And once again, I think there's a great opportunity because there's this big financial event um, that's happening. And while I didn't plan to always plug Jim's book, again, Jim's book would be a really great thing to read because at times where people are inheriting a large amount of money, there's so much psychologically going on for them that they don't anticipate that that may also be useful to take a, a look at. Right. Exactly. And, you know, the right. other thing is if people don't want to buy the book, they can email me at kbk at kbkwealthconnection.com. I have a copy of the article. and be more than happy to shoot out an email with that article uh, so people could take a look uh, at some of the information.
2: Okay. That's great. Or maybe if you could post it on LinkedIn. Oh yeah, yep, I can do that. that would be okay. great. Yeah, very good. It'd be really great. Okay,
3: so we're we're getting near the end of our time together um, this morning, and it just it seems like is there what's the takeaway? What can what can people head out the door from this from listening to this and and, and make an improvement in their relationship with their financial advisors? Let's come back around to the client side of it.
4: Um, I think clients, I think the first step is if you are listening, and chances are you're listening alone given the time of day, but if you are listening um, and you're saying, you know what, I'd really like to talk to my partner more about money, I think the first step is to invite your partner into that conversation. And you want to do it at a time that everybody's kind of happy and mellow. You don't want to do it in the middle of a fight or anything. But say, you know, one of the things I would like to do is figure out if we could, you know, talk about money or share financial responsibility a little bit more. Um, And, you know, no matter what your partner's response is, um, I think that that's an important first step. And then I think it's whoever you're working with around your financial advice, letting them know that, you know what, I heard this program um, you can say, you know, Brian and Ann had this great program, and they talked about couples. And I'd really like to uh, have us work as a couple together around um, money, in addition to financial planning. The last thing I want to say is, you may have a financial planner that you're satisfied with, who is not going to do this type of work. And so it may be that's when you may hire a money coach or somebody who works with couples um, to help you have these conversations and dialogues and figure out a way to just learn more about each other. So it can be with your financial advisor. It can be an adjunct to your financial advisor. But the takeaway is, you know what? If you learn to talk about money with your spouse or your partner, uh, it actually can really help your marriage. It can increase your intimacy in a variety of different ways. And it's worth taking the risk uh, to have a better relationship around money with your partner.
2: Boy.
3: That sounds that's so true. Right. Yeah. 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 That's a great summary great. for that.
2: Thanks okay. so much, Kathleen. Kathleen, it's, so it's been, a been a pleasure to have you on our show this morning. Yeah. Thank Absolutely. you.
3: Okay, Absolutely. once again Kathleen's book is How to Give Financial Advice to Couples. And as you can tell, it's not just for financial advisors. There's lots of uh, information that Kathleen has That um, is helpful to clients who are working with advisors. So, and her website is kbk. Um, I'm gonna look so I get it. It's the kbkwealthconnection.com. So www.kbkwealthconnection.com. And that, um, I think that that wraps us up on that part of it. Um, Once again, thank you, Kathleen. And do you have information about
2: our future shows? I do. I have two quick uh, announcements. November 29th, we will be doing a a re-recording. You'll hear again Lachelle Lochardet on Couples and Money to follow right on this. And then on December 6th, we'll be back with Sarah Baird from the Center for a New American Dream. Okay.
3: And the Center for the New American Dream, that ties into uh, when Tim Kasser
2: was on the program, isn't it? It um, does. She, he was the one who referred us to her. The Center for a New American Dream is an organization challenging the "more is better" definition of the American dream. So it should be, it should be a really interesting show. Okay, excellent. Okay, so
3: we are finished for today's program. It's always a pleasure to have you listening. I hope you've gotten
2: some good information. I am Brian Farr, and I'm Ann Hutchins, and. Let's keep this conversation going because you have money in your life.
1: Thank you for making money in your life part of your financial plan this week. Please join your hosts, Ann Hutchins and Brian Farr, again next Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.